On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. This morning, our title this morning, we're getting into the exiles and uh, looking at their captivity. The title for this morning is Living for the promised land, living for the promised land. So this is what we're, this is what we're about. We're trying to find our way. How do I live for something else when I'm in another place? Well, I gave you a background last week. I kind of said, well, okay, here's, here's what we're looking at. The last couple of weeks, we've been kind of looking at that. And so uh, now I want to, sh- I want to show you this map because this map kind of shows you what we're talking about. And most people, this is in your Bibles already. So I just, I just need you to see this map. So here's this map. This is the map of the Babylonian empire. And you can see all that green section, that huge green section, right? That's all the Babylonian Empire. And it includes a huge piece of the Middle East. The Hebrew people have been taken from Jerusalem into captivity. The soldiers from King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, right? They take them. But watch this. It wasn't just a straight shot because they got the Arabian Desert. You don't live through that. Arabian Nights. You all know you can't live in that desert, right? Okay. And so they have to go all the way up. And then they have to follow the Euphrates River because they've got to have water all the way back. That's over 600 miles that they went from Judah all the way down into Babylon. If you notice Way up at the top there is Assyria, and then right under Assyria, check out that name, you see it, Nineveh? That kind of gives you a perspective on the story of Jonah. Remember how Jonah got, got in a boat to go to Nineveh? No, he was clearly not going to Nineveh. He was going in the opposite direction, right? But this is the Babylonian Empire. Well, that is where you see Babylon. That's modern-day Iraq right now. So that, there's a whole bunch going on there. Uh, needless to say, this is a time of extreme hardship for the people of Israel. They're strangers in a strange land, and the people of Jerusalem are longing for home. They're longing for the promised land. Instead, they're exiles. And, and then how are they supposed to live while being exiled? Should they resist being exiled? Should they rebel against their Babylonian captors? Should they listen to those who are saying, hey, listen, it's not a big deal. It's not going to last very long. We're going to go back home really quick. What, what, What should we do? It was under this scenario that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. Would you grab your Bibles? Grab them. Open up to Jeremiah with me, please, right? You got Isaiah, Jeremiah. That's one. They're starting out the, the major prophets. Once you get into Daniel, Jonah, you've gone into some of the minor prophets, right? Jonah's one of the minors. You don't just turn to your left. Come back to Jeremiah. That's where I'm going to be sitting around. We're going to sit together today through Jeremiah. Uh, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. That, that's kind of hard for some people because they're like, that's not the words that it has here. I have words that I don't understand, but I understand what you're saying. Well, the New Living Translation is just another translation. It's a, it's a modern English translation that kind of makes the Bible uh, approachable and, and puts handles on it, actually, for me. So just so you know, if, you, if you're reading different words, there's different translations that are out there. Well, Jeremiah is answering the questions of the people that are in exile. And by extension, he's answering these questions for us today. So the people are longing, as I said, for home. They're longing for the promised land. And what they're actually longing for is something temporary. That's what I want to get into today. 
Growing up as a kid in the 70s and then as a teen and a young adult in the 80s, I lived through a period of relative peace. Uh, Using the name of Jesus was actually an option for valedictorian speeches at graduations, okay? School Christmas programs, they included Luke too as all the kids were dressed up in bathrobes to be Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the magi, right? And, And prayer before a football game, That was commonplace. Everybody did it, right? But today, these acts, these same acts, would result in fines and or jail time. Uh, And and it's all under the same constitution that protected those actions just a few decades ago. The new normal has taken tolerance, and it has moved it toward court-ordered acceptance. Yeah, we have to support these lifestyles that not too long ago were considered deviant behavior. And it's like, wait a minute, what just happened? And so here's what happens. So many people long for the days that once were. And yet in this longing, I think it's easy to make the same mistake that the Jews of Jerusalem made then. So I, be, I wanna begin this series uh, as I did last week by asking this question. So how should we then live? If we're having all of this going on around us, if, if the culture and society that I live in looks like this, well, how do I live in the midst of that? So let's turn to chapter 29 in Jeremiah, right? Chapter 29, that's where, that's where I'm gonna be launching from to find out how should we then live. We're gonna look at what God had told the exiles then because it is true for us now. There are three points in this, in this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. The first one is right here. We're going to learn why the Jews were in exile. That's in verse 4. And then second, we're going to learn how the Jews were supposed to live as exiles. And that's going to be in verses 5 through 9. And then lastly, we're going to hear about the end of the exile, and that's going to be in verses 10 through 14. So if you're ready, I'm ready. All along the way, by the way, I want, I'm hoping that we will learn what each of these pieces has to do with our lives today. How does that apply to us? How do these points apply? So let's get started. Number one, why were the Jews from Jerusalem in exile? It starts right here in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse four. Check out what he says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, right? This is Jeremiah writing this. It's a prophecy. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives He's exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Right there, there's the answer. The short answer of why God's people ended up in Babylon, he sent them there. (laughs) It it was, wait, what? That's what it says. This is what the Lord says that he sent to Babylon. But I want us to take a much closer look. The prophet Jeremiah is telling the people, hey, I want you to understand that the message I'm, I'm writing down, Baruch, etc. the message, Baruch was one of his transcribers. He says, listen, this message that I'm telling you right now isn't from me, it's from the Lord. Did you notice, by the way, that Lord in verse four, the Lord, did you notice it's in all uppercase? That means it's talking about the covenant God. See, God's covenant name was Yahweh or I am. And so that's what happens when they capitalize all the letters. They're talking about that God. There are many gods, but no, we're talking about the God of the covenant, Yahweh. And, and then he says this, he, he says, the God who made this covenant, he says, God, Yahweh, who made this covenant with the people of Israel is the same God who's making this statement. The Lord of heaven's armies is about to say this to you. The Lord of heaven's armies, the one who sent you into exile. Remember, He's the one who initiated the covenant, by the way. He's the one who said, hey, 
I want to be your God. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. We're going to have this covenant together. We're going to work together. And then he says, he's the one who sent them into exile. He's the one who had them carried off into captivity. I'm like, wait a minute. God doesn't do that. Apparently he does. And while this king, his name, you ready for this? It's a big name. And sometimes people stumble over it. Nebuchadnezzar. It's a, it's a big old name. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have names like that anymore. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon at the time. And he's the one who's leading this charge. Well, he's probably thinking it's by his strength that he's carried off this captivity. The truth is the power of the king, it couldn't have done it apart from the will of God. If God doesn't allow it to happen, it's not going to happen. Being that God is all powerful, then why did the promised land fall under the power of ungodly authority? If God is over Israel and God is over Judah and God is over Jerusalem, then why didn't God protect all of this? The first answer can be found, and we reviewed it last week, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Check this out, verses 14 through 16. All the leaders of the priests and all the people, right, they, came, they became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations. Look at this. They desecrated the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated. They desecrated that had been consecrated. They messed up that which had been set apart and purified in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, listen to this, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them. For he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God, and they despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. Now, this exile captivity was directly connected to God's covenant people turning away from him. And that shouldn't be a, a huge surprise because they were really warned. Check out Deuteronomy 28. In verse 58, it says this. He says, listen, if you refuse to obey all the words of instruction that are written in this book, and if you don't fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God, then he goes on and through a bunch of other things. In verse 64, he says this, the Lord's going to scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. Whew. So much so in his farewell address, Joshua, he saw this coming. Here's what he said in Joshua 23. But as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he's also going to bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods... His anger is going to burn against you and you're going to quickly vanish from the good land that he's given you. You're going to vanish and that's exactly what happened. They were exiled and put into captivity. So, whew, that's how we got to where we're at. Now, but, but here's the big question. So how does all of that apply to us today? That's the question I want to ask and I'm hoping that's what you're asking because I want you to understand we're not all that different from the people of Israel. Not really. Our first parents were Adam and Eve. They lived in a place called Eden, right? It was a paradise, and they are in perfect fellowship with God. And then came the fall. Through their sin and disobedience, they were exiled from paradise. 
Well, we're out of paradise, exiled by sin, and the people are here in Babylon, exiled by sin. This is what happens. Sin separates, whether it's ancient Babylon, modern-day China, or even here in the U.S. The people of God are all, and I want you to hear this, we are all living as exiles, longing for our real home. Spoiler alert, it's not the promised land. It is paradise. That's what we're really longing for. I've said this often. I'm homesick for Eden. There's an ache inside of me that knows I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. Which brings me to our second point. How are the Jews supposed to live as exiles? So if we're exiled, okay, so I get it. This is what brought us here. So so now we get to some understanding. Here's Jeremiah. Hey, listen, you guys disobeyed. I told you what was going to happen. You got this great land of promise. But then if you disobey, you're going to get exiled. Okay, so that's what happened. That's how we got here. So now what? See, that's the big question. We often should not ask why, because most times we honestly know why. But here's the better question. So now what? What are we supposed to do now that we know all of this? Now what? How should we then live? It's answered in a really detailed checklist. Check this out in verses 5 through 7. Check this out. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens. Whoo! Eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Find spouses for your children so they'll have grandchildren for you. Multiply. Don't dwindle away. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because its welfare is going to determine your welfare. Now, there are four specific instructions that are given in this little checklist, and here's what I want to do. I want to review them one at a time. Can we do that together? So here's where I want to start. In verse 5, in verse 5 it says, we're supposed to build homes and live in them, right? Wow. And then he says this, I need you to plant gardens and eat the fruit from them. This is talking about a semi-permanency. You're going to be here a while, See, listen, you don't build homes, you don't plant gardens if it's going to be a short amount of time. We'll get to that in a little bit. But see, he says, you're going to be here for a while. While transplanted as captives, you need to be functioning, listen to me, as citizens. You need to be working and doing like everybody else is doing. So would you fill this in, please, this morning? Here's two of them for you. I need you to build houses and live in them because that's how you're going to establish yourselves as members of the community. Secondly, I need you to plant gardens and I need you to eat the fruit because that's how you're going to earn wages and you're going to contribute to the economy. See, God says, listen, you're going to be here for a while and I need you to do this well while you're here. And I'll get to why in a minute. But here's what I need you to do. Build the houses and plant the gardens. You guys need to carry on. You need to grow as people. Don't fade into the background. And that's where he goes into verse 6. He says in verse 6, you need to marry. You need to have kids. You need to let your kids get married. And they need to have kids. Whoa. Okay, so we're here for at least a couple of generations. See, he's outlining. It's not going to be a short amount of time. You're not here for a few years. You're going to be here for Several years, many years, when you're going to have grandkids. Now, please notice here that these first two instructions, the build houses and eat fruit and, and plant gardens and then have kids, th- there's, there's nothing more here than the mandate that was given to us 
in Genesis chapter one, when he first talked to Adam and Eve. He says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. And the exile in Babylon doesn't change this mandate. And it doesn't change our mandate living as exiles today either. We are to be fruitful. We are to multiply. Now, before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were supposed to take dominion over the earth. That mandate didn't change their rebellion of independence, right? They had this thing, we're going to do what we want to do. Hey, listen, isn't this, so, isn't this such our existence, right? You can have anything you want except that one thing. Well, then that's the one thing I want, <laughs> right? Why is that? Well, the curse of that decision that happened in Genesis chapter 3 made it more difficult for sure. You're going to have to work the land. He says, plant the gardens. Remember that? But there's going to be thorns. Oh man, this is part, this is part of the curse in Genesis chapter three. There's going to be thorns. And then you know what else? Hey, ladies, you're going to want to, you're going to want to multiply, right? That's part of the, the expression here. I want you to, to, to take dominion. I want you to multiply, but ladies, you're going to have pain in childbirth. What? So you want us to do this thing that's going to hurt. Yeah, the guys too. I know it's not so much in a modern, but you know, plant the gardens with the thorns and the rocks and all these other things. And then in the midst of all that, he outlines in Genesis chapter three, there's going to be marital strife. Really with this, right? It's like, wow, you're asking us to do something that's going to be, are you ready? Difficult. But I want you to hear from Genesis chapter three. It's difficult because of our own decisions. Because of the decision of Adam and Eve, because they decided to eat from the knowledge, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it made everything worse. So we're called to carry out the original mandate of being fruitful and multiply to subdue the earth, even today. But again, here's the question, right? How are we supposed, are you asking that pastor, just get to the how? I'm going to get to the how. Watch this. Listen to what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mountainside in Matthew chapter five. Check this out. Look what he says. He says this, you are the salt of the earth. Hey, but by the way, what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Is there any way to make it salty again? No, the, 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 the answer is just, it's right there. No, it gets thrown out. It gets trampled underfoot as worthless. You, you put it on the roads to melt the snow. No, okay. See, the salt's no good if it doesn't have flavor. And then he says this, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hill. It can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. They might put it under a lampshade, right? right? But instead, this is, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. See, being salt and light is what we're to be doing. And here's the beautiful part. Jesus concludes with the why in verse 16. Why are we supposed to do it? Here it is, right here. Do these things. Be salt, be light. Here's why. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Here's why. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is the answer to how should we then live? We've got to live in a way that brings glory to God. That's it. And that way is being salt and being light. It's calling all believers to be believable. And if there is anywhere that could use some salt and light, it's on social media. Would you please 
please be salt and light. Please don't just repost somebody else's picture from moms for God or dads who love Jesus. You know, no, take your scriptures and write out a scripture that you were reading this morning and say, wow, I was reading this morning. It's so relevant for today. And then write out the scripture for somebody. If you're just going to post another picture that somebody else posted and you're going to repost, no, 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 listen, our social media feeds need to change, believers. This is how we become believable, by sharing salt, by becoming light. And I'll tell you what, again, our social media could sure use it. We are to work hard to be faithful and committed in our marriages. We're to raise up our kids in such a way that it preserves and enlightens our society. For what reason? All to the glory of God. This is what Jesus said. That's what the exiles in Babylon were called to do. And that's what we are being called to do. Let's check out verse seven. Fill in this blank for yourselves. This is verse seven. God tells them not to just work for the peace of Babylon, but you need to be praying for the peace of Babylon. What? These guys are our enemies. These guys took us captive. Listen, here's why. Because directly connected to this city's peace, you're going to also have peace. God's people have peace directly connected to praying for the peace of the city where they live. By praying for and working toward the peace of Babylon, God's people showed themselves to be faithful subjects in the land of their sojourn. This is not where we belong. We're just staying here for a while. We've been told it's going to be for a while. I'll get to that in a bit. I know it's going to be for a while, but geez, Louise, I have to pray for its peace too? This is not where I belong. Why do I have to pray for this? That faithfulness, by the way, was later rewarded. I'm not going to get into it this morning, but there, God rose up a king named Cyrus of Persia, and he authorized and contributed to the reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Can't get into it today, but he ends up sending them back with money. He says, go rebuild your city. In fact, I want you to know King Cyrus actually said, when the temple gets built, do me a favor, have all those priests that are there at that temple, have them pray for me and my family. Wait, What? This is a man who is ungodly saying, hey, here's some money, go build your church. And when you get it all built, make sure you pray for me. King Cyrus. Now as exiles today, we are called to pray and work toward the peace of our nation. Have you prayed for America today? When you read about our own law enforcement being ambushed last night. It's just, these are amazing days we're living in. We need to be praying, not revolting, not, listen, picketing, all that other stuff. Listen, that's, that's side issue stuff. As Christians, we are called to pray. Let us be on our knees. Let's fight our battles here. That's where the battle is actually won. We don't fight. Paul told us, against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and rulers in the dark places. The concern, safety, and direction of America is why we follow Paul's instructions to Timothy. Look what he told Timothy. He said this directly. He was very straightforward. I'm urging you first. Here's the first thing I want to tell you. Pray for one of your neighbors. Pray for just that, only that person you see at the park. No, all people. Listen to this. Ask God to help 
Them means all people. Intercede on behalf of all people. Give thanks for all people. And then he gets specific. See, that is for everybody. Then he gets specific. Paul says this, pray this same way specifically for kings and all who are in authority so that I want you to do this and here's the why. We can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Now, please notice the focus in this verse is on prayer. But again, to what end? Isn't that, isn't that always what we, we, we come up with it all the time, right? In fact, our kids will say things like this. They'll say, why? Why? Right? You'd say, hey, here's what I want you to do. And then they say, why? Why? It's to lead a quiet and peaceable life. That's why. Why should we pray for authority? So that you can live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness, in holiness. And why? Again, all to the glory of God of God. Also that when people look at my life, they go, wow, I glorify God looking at what you do and how you handle situations. That's how we're to live in this life. Praying for and submitting to our leaders and governing authority is part of living as salt and light. This is how we're to live. And here's a bonus for us as Americans. Listen, we're not in Babylon. But as Americans, we're citizens in a democratically elected republic. Do you know what that means? That as exiles, we're allowed to participate in the governance of this nation. We're to become established as residents, as I said before. We're resident aliens here, right? But we also get to participate in electing officials and voting on laws. Can you imagine if the if the Jews in Babylon got to do that, hey, we decide we don't want Nebuchadnezzar in power anymore. We get to do that. That's why I always say, hey, vote your values. These are our values, biblical worldview. This is where I get my values. And so I say, wow, we should participate. Since we're exiles here and they're giving us the opportunity, we should take it. Some of God's people living as exiles may even get elected to office. Catch that. Beloved, I need you to hear this. Even though we're here, again, as resident aliens, as exiles, we get to participate in the system. In fact, they say, we'll let you be in the system. Consider several of the exiles who were faithful subjects in the land they were exiled to, but they were used by God for the good of his people. Think about it. Joseph. Joseph, way back in Genesis, way back in Genesis, chapter 50, you read about it, right? He ends up second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. He's in captivity. He's not, he's not one of the people that were there. He wasn't, he's not an Egyptian, but he's second in power to Pharaoh. Daniel, just a few books over to the right. Daniel, he's elevated to the office of chief administrator over all of Babylon. But I thought he was one of the prisoners. Yeah, look at how the Lord works. Even Esther, she became queen saving God's people from total destruction in Persia. See, <laughs> what we have to understand is here we are, we have this beautiful place in front of us. It's amazing that we're afforded rights in this country, in this land, for the responsibility of this land. And by extension, for the good of the church. It's okay, it's great, we're, we're allowed to participate here. 
Then lastly, let's get to verse seven. Check this out. The final instruction is given and it was toward those who are saying, oh, you know, listen, you need to ignore all those people that are saying it's not going to be very long. Jeremiah 29, seven, the Lord, he listened and he said, I want to address this whole thing of you're not going to be there very long. Don't worry about it. Hey, it's no big deal. We'll be home. No, as soon as you can imagine, this is going to be over. Didn't we all think that about this, this pandemic? Oh, we'll give it a couple of months and then we'll be back together in church again, right? Listen to the way God addressed this with the Old Testament exiles. He did so in Jeremiah chapter 14, just a few chapters to the left. Look at this. He says this. Then the Lord says, these prophets are lying and they're doing so in my name. I didn't send them or tell them to speak that stuff. I didn't give them any of those messages. They prophesy of visions and revelations they've never seen or heard. They speak foolishness made up from their own lying hearts. Now watch how that gets translated into the New Testament exiles. Second Timothy 4. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They're going to follow their own desires. They're going to look for teachers who are going to let them, who are going to tell them all these things their itching ears want to hear. Ooh, tell me something else that sounds good to me. I just want you to tell me all the stuff that I like. It says they're going to reject the truth. They're going to chase after myths. Whoo! Sounds like, like uh, present testament exiles to me. This sadly describes much of the Christian church today. Beloved, I want you to hear me. We have to come to such unity in our faith and our knowledge of God's son that we become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And do you know what happens when that happens? Well, we're told, Ephesians 4.14, check it out. Then, when that happens, when we measure up to the full, complete standard of Christ, when our faith and knowledge of God's Son is, it brings us to unity, here's what happens. Then, we'll no longer be like immature children. We're not going to be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We're not going to be influenced when people try and trick us with lies. So clever, they sound like the truth. This is describing disciples with a biblical worldview, believers who actually know what they believe. And you know what else? It sums up how the exiles were to live in Babylon. It also gives us instructions on how we're to live today. But before we go, I got some good news, starting in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. Look what it says. It says this, this is what the Lord says, you're gonna be in Babylon 70 years. But then, oh man, I'm going to come and I'm going to do for you all the good things I promised. I'm going to bring you home again. That, my friends, is the third and final point that I promised you. God fixed a time for the end of the exile. In other passages, he says, this too shall pass. There's, it's going to come, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end. It says, after 70 years, I'm going to fulfill all my promises and I'm going to take you home from this place that you're in. 70 years may sound like a long time to the exiles, but the point here is the end has been defined. 
Okay, so there is an end to this. Isn't that where we lose hope? Isn't it? Beloved, listen, we lose hope when we go, is there never going to be an end to this? I'm here to tell you, there is an end. And the end did come. 70 years later, just as God promised, it was described in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. As I said earlier, King Cyrus sends his people, sends all the people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But listen, that's not really the end of the exile. Yes, they, they got to go home to Jerusalem, but that's not the end of the exile. Because remember what I said earlier? We're all still in exile. We're not longing for the promised land. I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. I've been to Jerusalem. Wow. I don't want to go back there. I want to go home. I'm homesick for Eden. So what is the end of our exile? It's found in verse 11. Check it out. Look what verse 11 says. For I know the plans that I have for you. This is God speaking. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And I'll tell you what, this future and hope was more than a peaceful return to Jerusalem. In fact, listen to this, that peaceful return to Jerusalem, it didn't last. They came back from Babylon and you know what? Hundreds of years later, the Roman conquest happened and they destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple that was rebuilt. That was in 70 AD. We have proof, right? That coming back, that exile really didn't end. We're still in exile. I'll tell you what the real peace that is being described here in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, it's peace with God. That is where the exile stops, is when I have peace with God. Last week, I said that the reason that God brought about the captivity was because of the sins of his people, and I repeated it today. Yet in spite of that, I want you to hear, God's grace, God's grace flows abundantly to a bunch of covenant breakers. You, got, you really with that? I told you not to do, really? Grace. And I go, why is he so gracious to me? Why is he so gracious to me? I keep breaking the things he tells me not to break and I keep doing it? Well, here's here's why. I think God took them out of the promised land and put them into exile and captivity. Here it is, ready? So they would depend on him. So they would call on God again. They would call upon the name of the Lord. And that's where the grace comes in. Check out verses 12 and 13. Jeremiah chapter 29, stay with me. Look at this, verses 12 and 13. In those days, oh, here's the grace, beloved, hear it. When you pray in those days, when you got all these troubles, all this stuff's going on, when you pray, I'm going to listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, guess what? You're going to find me. What? And I'll tell you what, that's exactly what happened. After being conquered, after losing loved ones, after living as exiles in captivity in a foreign nation, here's what happened. The remnant called on God's name. They call on God's name and he hears them and he brings them home. They searched for him with their whole heart and they found him. And that, beloved, is where we need to put our hope for the future is that God is listening. God is wanting to hear us call out to him. God is saying, just call on me. I'll bring you peace that goes beyond your circumstance, goes beyond your understanding. I want to give you peace. The future and the hope wasn't about returning and living in Jerusalem. How temporary, literally, was that? The future and the hope would be found much later. 
in an unblemished sacrificial lamb back in the Old Testament. His name was Jesus, and he would ultimately bring us all peace with God. That's the one that those angels, remember he said, I am the Lord of heaven's armies, right? The angels were singing to the shepherds, glory to God in highest heaven, peace and goodwill toward men on earth with whom he is pleased. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, go back, read Luke 2. Merry Christmas. Man, this is good. God says, no, I have something for you. Peace was ultimately found in Jesus because he suffered and died on my behalf. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> on our behalf, your behalf, my behalf, her behalf, their behalf. Yes, that's where we get our peace. I got two things for you to fill in. Watch this. It was the Messiah to come that gave them a future and a hope. And it was the Christ who came that gave us a future and hope. See, they're, they're dealing with it had not yet happened. That's the Old Testament. But here in the present Testament, it already took place. Having this hope and future is what sets us apart. Having this hope for the future is what pulls us out of the world around us. God wants to set us apart. Set us apart from the hateful rhetoric being hurled on the streets, in the media, and over podiums. God wants to set us apart from the confusion, the violence, the broken relationships that are breaking young and tender hearts. God wants to set us apart from a culture that consistently says good is bad and bad is good. Confusing. Oh my gosh. Those are the ways of the world. In the midst of all of that, you and I know we can be confident that we have peace with God because the Lord's thoughts toward us are peaceful. They're of peace and not evil. We just read that. It's to give us a future and a hope. One of the many reasons that I love, I absolutely love living in Southern California for a lot of reasons, but one of them, specific Los Angeles, is that it's such a great picture of heaven for me. Except at heaven, we're all going to be united. The reason I love LA is because it's so easy to see that we are not all that different from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Melanin that just gives us shades in our skin color. Melanin, that's really all that's different. Veins are all still the same. Hearts, organs, kidneys, liver, all. We're, well, you take off the melanin, you take off the pigment of our skin, and we're all still the same. Whether, listen to this, in heaven, that we will have brothers and sisters from China, from Germany, from Brazil, from Syria, from the Philippines, from Korea, from Africa, or in anywhere and everywhere all around the world. We're all going to come together. Not just all over the world, but list of all time. We're going to hear languages praising God in languages we've never heard before that died off years and years ago. Someday, God's going to gather his people throughout all the earth and throughout all time. And because of that, and I want you to fill this in, this is your last blank. You and I, brothers and sisters, my beloved, we all hold dual citizenships. I may be an American, but first, I am a son of God. 
I'm a son of heaven. I'm a son of the most high. We have, two, we have two citizenships. One is mortal and the other is eternal. I'm not, again, I'm not meant for this place. That's why I've got that other citizenship and it's my primary citizenship. Someday God's gonna gather his people in this glorious resurrection into the new heavens and the new earth. We will be taken to paradise and it will be restored. We'll once again have perfect fellowship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And until then, let's just pray. Let's just pray that each of us live as godly citizens, full of salt and light in our respective Babylons. Now, I don't know where that is for you. Some of you, that Babylon is right here in Santa Clarita. Some of you commute to LA. Some of you are commuting into other counties. But I will tell you this. God has given us a future and a hope for this time that we're in. Now, if you do not have, listen to me, that hope for tomorrow, you need to start there. Because before any of this can really make sense for you personally, before you can take the instructions as to what we're supposed to be doing as exiles, you have to understand, wait a minute, I'm a citizen of heaven. Are you a citizen of heaven? I'm gonna pray for you right now. If you do not know Jesus, oh, I long that you would know him. I long for that. But I'll tell you what, more than that, Jesus came that you might have relationship with his father. See, again, I, I kind of touched on it in, in the book of Genesis. We were created by God, right? Adam and Eve, that, that tells of our creation, right? And then he gives us free will and we chose that tree. I know that's still true today. As much as I would like to blame Adam and blame Eve for eating the only tree they weren't supposed to eat from, I know what I would have done. Yeah, and, but here's the beauty. God's love moves beyond my decision. He goes, oh, grace. When you call on me, I'm gonna hear from you. And listen to this. Before, this is the best part. Before you call on me, I'm going to send my son. While you're sinning, I'm gonna send my son because I love you so much that you can have relationship with me again. So that when the time comes, when you're done playing around in the mud, when you're done messing up your life, when you finally had enough of you, you will turn to me because there's a way. There's a way out. There's a rescue. The bridge is out, folks. Jesus made a way. Accept him today. And if that's you, can I pray for you right now? Lord Jesus, there are people who are hearing this message going, I didn't know all that stuff about Babylon. Who's a Nebuchadnezzar? Right? And, and Lord, there are people who've been listening but saying, I got to get Jesus into my life. He's, he's missing in my life. And I got to get that back. I got to get that right. I got to get into right standing with God. Jesus made the way for you. And so I want to pray for you specifically. If you're agreeing with me right now, listen to this. I'm agreeing with you. I'm praying, but you're saying, yep, yep, yep. That's me. That's me. Jesus, come into my life. Restore me and make me whole again. Give me a future and a hope of being at peace with God in paradise. Jesus, forgive me all the things that I have done. I have chosen to do what I want to do. When I knew I wasn't supposed to, I still went through it. I, there, it was, there was no thoughts on it. I just was going for it. That's called sin. And God says, that's what I sent my son for, to cover all that up, to make us right again. So he forgives your sin. If you're praying with me, just say, forgive my sin. 
And then, Father, I pray for those who are with me right now, praying with me right now, that they would right now, right now, this morning, Sunday, they'd have a peace that starts at the top of their head. That's the brains. And goes all the way to the soles of their feet. That's how they walk it out. They would have a peace that goes beyond their circumstance, goes beyond their understanding, goes beyond their experience. They would have peace. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Let it be so. Let it be done. 